Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday evening, and I'm going to see if I can do the Torah now <coughs> um, for uh, this Parsha. Uh, today's after, which is a very interesting one, as they always are. And what do you call it? The, I want to thank uh, the sponsor over here, which is uh, the Cadles, Salma Cadle and his family, who are sponsoring this um, in, in in honor and memory of uh, grandparents. Uh, here's what he, about uh, somebody named, let me read this, Menachem Mendel Schlager. Schlanger. Oh, Menachem Mendel Schlanger, who was born in Sokolov in Galicia. Wow, in Sokolov. In 1918, 12 children. Their father is Jacob Areba. The, this is the real Galicia. The young Mendel was thought to take over the mantle of his illustrious father of Nissen Schlanger, but the war broke out, meaning the Second World War, and the family dispersed and most of them were killed in the camps. And Mendel endured the torture of Siberia. Aha, so he escaped Hitler by running to, to Stalin. So Mendel endured, endured the torture of Siberia, trying desperately to protect his sickly younger brother, Wow, look at all those tragedies. These, these are the lucky ones who escaped Hitler, but then they had to live in Siberia. Following the war, he met and married Nechama Bastavad at Cohen Aaron, and they went to Toronto in 49, okay? And there they raised, so now they're survivors. And they raised their two children, Chai and David. Like other Jewish immigrants, they worked tirelessly to provide for their children and ended up having two grocery stores and a textile business in their later years. So they're capable people. Two stores, I don't know how you do that. And they had much, so much nachas from their grandchildren, two of whom married and moved to raise their own children here in Baltimore. And these are the sponsors today, Shalom and Pessy Michael, and no means Ali Kadel. That's who I went walking with. <clears throat> okay? And he, may his nachama's memory be a blessing for all colleagues, for all amen. <clears throat> so plain and simple, these are people who went through the, the hell of the Shoah. All right, Patriot. Then the Shammah should have an aliyah. <clears throat> if they have grandchildren like that, then the Shammah should have an aliyah. Anyhow, let's take a look at the Haftorah today, which is Jeremiah 46. Uh, basically, as I said last week, it's all the same business. The Hainu, anti-Egypt. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> why would you be against Egypt? Well, maybe the Egyptians wiped us out, crushed the babies and all that stuff. So whoever made the Haftorah's upset, I want something from Mitzrayim, and I want something from Mitzrayim where to get busted. <laughs> now, we're in Jewish history in the Bible. In the Tanakh, do we find Mitzrayim gets busted? That's a good question. Uh, not, we're not. No, it's after the story we see Mitzrayim. Think about it. Uh, Yeshua, Shoftim, Shmuel, Melachim. Do you ever hear about Egypt getting busted? Not really. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Go through the Treyasa and the other things. Well, the answer is you have a few, a few references to it. But when did Egypt get busted? So it all boils down. To this, um, this the 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 phenomenon, the, the 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 campaign, which was the subject of last week's Torah and the subject of this week's. But last week it was in the book of Yeheskel. This week is the book of Yirmiyahu. 
What's the difference between one and the other? There are many differences, but the salient one is Yechezkel wasn't there. Yemiah was there. What do I mean? So they're getting prophecies, but in other words, one's going to be a, a player in the prophecy, in, in the events that, that transpire. The other one will not. Yechezkel, as I mentioned before, was a member of Gol Yehoyachin. So in Nebuchadnezzar, I repeat, had many encounters with the Jews, A, B, C, D, F, and G. And first, as I said before, without going through all the details, the Jewish king, Yehoyachim, who was very wicked, rebelled against him. I'll just collapse this into a few uh, uh, words. And by the time it's over, Nebuchadnezzar was invading the kingdom of Judah and killing, in some fashion, other Yehoyachim. And then eventually captured the city of Jerusalem, which was held by his young son, Yehoyachin. And that's what we call Gos Yehoyachin, or Gos Yehonya. And the king carried off to Babylon. No, it was Nebuchadnezzar carried off to Babylon the royal family, or a lot of it. The Chorosh and the Mazgir, which Al Pashib Shot means the, the elites. The Pashib Shot means the armaments makers. So, as we would say today, your, uh, your, your weapons designers and things like that, that you need. For your defense efforts, so notice he was, he was what he caused, um, you know, um, depriving them of the ability to make another war. <clears throat> Chazal say it's, a, it's it's a Sanhedrin, so it's a different type of elite, the rabbis, based mainly on the fact that you know it's a Mordechai was it's a Mordechai Asher Glob and Mordechai's member Sanhedrin. So that must be That's how they worked that out. But anyhow, uh, but he left behind um, the lower classes and Tzidkiah to be the king and say, keep your nose clean, don't rebel against me. Of course, we know Tzidkiah did just that. So the prophet Yechezkel is from the group that was marched off to Babel. He would be members of the elite of the Chorosh of Damascus in the Sanhedrin type sense. <clears throat> and in last week's Haftarah, he is from afar predicting the doom of Egypt, meaning a point will come where Nebuchadnezzar will go and wipe out Egypt. That's what it boils down to. Uh, that's what it is. Now this is a campaign that happens after Tisha B'Av, after Chorim Beis In this week's Haftar, in, in Jeremiah 46, you have the same business. Matter of fact, I told you many times uh, it's the style of the Haftarah to... Uh, you know, be fragmented, not to start from the beginning, or, um, you know, uh, what shall I say, uh, not start from what the Christians would call the beginning of the parrot, uh, but to st- start in the middle, because for the point of view of the Haftorah, it was for Hamun Am, and the Hamun Am should understand, at least in a broad sense, because they couldn't read the Chumash at different times or another, because of Xeris and things like that, you know, some themes similar to what you have in the Parsha, and instead of going through some kind of retelling of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, they would talk about Chorvim Mitzrayim. At least, that's the second best you can get. Uh, hence the Haftorah that we have today. What I mean is that the Perak, or whatever you want to call it, the fragment of the book of Jeremiah that we're reading in the Haftorah today is part of a larger fragment, what we would call I know the Christians, man, I'm just saying, but Lemaise, that's where you're going to find it. In which case, Jeremiah is talking about two battles between the two teams. 
Battle number one, battle number two. One is very famous and is actually historical. And is mentioned in Book of Malachim Debriam elsewhere, and many of you are familiar with it, and that would be the Battle of Karkamish. And it says over here, in Mem Vav Amadal. Remember, our Haftarah starts with like Mem Vav Pasigid Gimel. So here I'm talking about 13 Pesukim beforehand. Asher Hoyed Varashem El Yermia Novi Al Agoyim. Le Mitzrayim Al Chil Paro Nechob Melch Mitzrayim. That the first prophecy has to do with Pharaoh Nechob, or Pharaoh Nikau, uh, one of the later pharaohs, who's the guy who kills, um, what's his name? Yoshio. You all know this from, from, uh, <laughs> Tish above the kinos, you know. Lemitzrayim alchel par nechol melch mitzrayim asher hoyal ar nahap nahar pras bekarkamish asher hika nebuchadnezzar melch bavel bishnas arvisal yakom ben ben yeshua melch yehuda. So prophecy number one has to do, and it's going to be followed by our haftar, which is prophecy number two. So prophecy number one has to do with the first battle between the two teams. In both cases. The Babylonians win. The first one is the Battle of Carchemish, which means that the Egyptian army marched north, far from Egypt, into the Euphrates up there, and uh, they arranged to have a battle in a certain place in Carchemish, which is more or less where the ISIS battles are going on now. And um, on the banks of Euphrates, on the Har Pras, it says so. And Nebuchadnezzar won. And then there's a whole little prophecy, a poem which is the heck with Egypt. The second one, okay, is our Haftar, which is That's a different one. It's not here where the Egyptian army marched north to meet the Babylonian army in battle in Carchemish. So in other words, Team Egypt marched to the home team, marched to the, to, to, to the stadium of Babylon, but now the other way around. Many years later, because the first battle took place at the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, many years later, after having beaten other countries, Nebuchadnezzar invaded um, Egypt, okay, and uh, and busted them. So it's not just defeating the Egyptian army, but now it's taking it to the home team, the Egyptian headquarters. And Yermiel is describing that. And that's actually what the prophet Yechesko was talking about last week. Vosepis, why the big deal about all this? Um, well, it's like this. This is very important. We all know what happened in Tishabov. Like I said before, there was Gauls Yehoyachin and then Gauls Tzidkiyahu. Round one, round two. What happened with the Gauls Tzidkiyahu? Very stupidly, against the constant counsel of the prophet Jeremiah, King Tzidkiyahu allowed himself to be persuaded by the richy riches of that time, who themselves were under Egyptian bribery, to side with Egypt against Babel. This was part of Egypt's weaving its uh, strategy against, uh, you know, the Jews, to use them as, as a kind of a punching bag, that the enemy army should exhaust their punching on, on the Jews, which is the country before Egypt, and it won't hit Egypt. So from the strictly point of view of Egypt, it made sense. Get it? What did Palmerston say? England has no friends. England has no enemies. England has interests. So that's Egypt, you know? Whatever they do, whatever they do, they're doing 
for their own interests. Keep that in mind. Now, the Jews were stupid enough to fall for that. Because what the Egyptians would do would beguile them by saying, no, this is actually Litovascha. Uh This argument, that argument, maintain your independence, whatever they said. But really, they were, and of course they bribed them heavily. And so once you get the money, your judgment is clouded, and Jews made fatal errors. Against all this stands the one guy, um, what do you call it? Uh, 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 the one guy, uh, the prophet Yemiyahu, and he's saying, no, no, don't do this, and this, and, you know, or Yecheskel, don't do this, it's all wrong, and unfortunately, I'm going to be vindicated by events. Nobody listened to him, as we all know. Now, in, it's even more than that. Listen closely. There was Gos Yochen, and then ten years later, Gos Tzitkiyo. What happened by Gos Tzitkiyo? Well, the Babylonians destroyed the base of Mish. That is true. And the Babylonians killed Tzitkiyo and his family. That is true. And the Babylonians marched everybody off, whoever they didn't kill. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar made a massacre. That is true. And then, you know, from uh, Tisha Bubba, we read about it. Bubbling blood. And then whoever survived, which wasn't so many, was marched off in captivity to Babylonia. That is true. What else happened? The answer is some Gedali, the Hainu. The king, the Babylonians, didn't take everybody away. They left the poorest class. Right, like we would say today, the farmhands behind. Under Gedalia, it's known as they took one member of the aristocracy, Gedalia ben Achikom, and also with him was the prophet Yermio. So in other words, Gedalia wasn't simply a guy that Babylonians put in charge of the situation, but Gedalia, to his credit, he was a tzaddik. He was too righteous. said, I want to hear, you know, the Das Torah, as we would say today. And um, so I got Yermio over here. And Yermio was a major player in the very short parsha of Gedalia, until Gedalia was assassinated. So, Nebuchadnezzar, having destroyed Jerusalem, carried off everybody, left behind the garrison, with a Jewish governor, under Nebuchadnezzar's orders, and they will now run Eretz Yisrael, or whatever was left, the rump of Judah, uh, from Michmash, I think it was right near Jerusalem, and that will be the new Jewish state. We won't have a base on Migdash, but you want to know something? Maybe if we show, Yermio said, that we're going to keep our nose clean and not get involved in rebellions and that the base of Migdash is strictly for religious purposes and nothing else, maybe we'll even get a chance to rebuild the base of Migdash, you know, like that. In other words, the king Nebuchadnezzar is not anti-Semitic, which is very interesting what I just said. Usually you say, anybody destroyed the base of Migdash, but it's anti-Semitic. Not, not as best as I can tell, okay? Uh, uh, the opposite. And so, this was the plan, but it didn't last long, because because Gedalia was set up around Tishabov time, and he was assassinated in Rosh Hashanah, which is less than two months later. Okay, What happened at that point, when some bad Jews, Yishmael ben Nisanya, killed Gedalia? The answer is, everybody went into a super panic, which I understand. After all, Nebuchadnezzar was a nice guy until now, but now he's going to turn into a Saddam Hussein and roast and toast everybody, and torture them to death, and who knows what. Because he's going to be super angry, and he'd be right to. He gave us this chance, he gave us another chance, another chance, and another chance, and each time we blew it. And now, the the, the Jews who assassinated Gedalia also assassinated the Babylonian garrison. So that's a super diss on Nebuchadnezzar, and if I were Nebuchadnezzar, you were, I'd just come back and kill all the Jews. Plain and simple. Okay? That's what happened. 
So at this point, this is all in the book of Jeremiah. At that point, Yermio said, look, I'm a Navi. I have a direct phone line upstairs. I got a cell phone. And Hashem told me that Nebuchadnezzar will not blame you. He will understand that, that, that Gedali was assassinated by unrepresentative extremists. And he'll go after them. He won't go after you and you guys can remain. But the people went into a super panic. and didn't believe it. They were too scared. And they said, no, we're going to run away to Egypt. That's the Haftorah today. You see? And they even schlepped uh, Yermiyahu and Baruch, his, uh, his uh, disciple, uh, forcibly to Egypt. So they were so scared of being killed by Nebuchadnezzar that they ran away. And by then it was like Hitler coming, you see? Now, Yermiyahu kept saying, I'm a Navi, Hashem. You have nothing to worry about. Do not make this terrible mistake of leaving Eretz Yisroel, Yudin without any do at all. But that's what they did. Okay? So, in this case, Yermiyahu is uttering a prophecy in which he's saying that you're, you're jumping from the frying pan into the fire. And the reason is because you think the running away to Egypt is going to be safe. Actually, in a few years, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come and invade the, the army in Egypt, and he'll catch you there. You see? He'll catch you there. And you'll perish that way. Uh... And that's the after of today, with that long intro. That's the after of today. He's talking about the defeat of of uh, Egypt. Okay. Uh, and of course, it's very poetic and all the rest of it. The only thing I would say is, if you look in the this particular war I'm describing, is very controversial among the archaeologists and the historians. It's not so clear if they have records for it. And many of them don't believe it. He used to be a professor, F.R., I remember, in Israel. You probably look it up. He writes about this. You know, these are specialists in ancient history. Here we go by Egyptian records, what you have left are the Babylonian Chronicles, and ain't so push it. But we record in the Tanakh that there was this invasion of Egypt. And for what it's worth, Josephus certainly has it. I just whipped out my rusty, trusty Josephus over here. And uh, when he talked about it after about a Gedali and all the rest of it, over there in Book Ten and Chapter Nine, he says Nebuzaradan, blah blah blah, and uh, and how Yochanan after Yishmael was driven away went down to Egypt with the people, which people Nebuchadnezzar when he made an expedition against the Egyptians, took captive and brought him back to Babel. So they ended up falling in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar during this invasion, um, and so he had, and later on he says. Quote, this Josephus, when he brought all the nations under subjugation, he fell upon Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar did. In order to overthrow it, he killed the king that was then reigning. I don't know if that's exactly true, but maybe, you know, this that would be the famous pharaoh uh, uh, Ifris. Um, maybe he's not a household name to you, but, uh, you know, these are the pharaohs. If you're interested, the pharaohs are very confusing. Very confusing, at least to me. And uh, you can get that book called Chronicles of the Pharaohs by Peter Clayton, and it gives you more or less... You know, for the average person, it gives you more or less the uh, a little bit of the timeline and and who's who and all the rest of it. He's got these really cool statues. I mean, there's a very interesting bronze statue of Parnacho over here, and then our buddy Apris, who the Egyptians call Wehibra, and the years fit. And apparently, it was an invasion, which is described in the detail. That's what our Haftar is all about. The most interesting thing to me, from the history perspective is the reference to Schirecha, which would be, where would it be? 
Kleigolas Iloch. Look at Pasik Chavalov. Gam Schireha Bekirba Kevli Magleg. Marbik, he gam him a hifnu nosi yachtav lo modu. The mercenaries didn't work out, the Schirim. And that's what the famous sources of ancient times tell us that this pharaoh, in order to fight off the Babylonian invasion, and later the Persians hired Greek mercenaries. But the mercenaries ran away. So, uh, as Mamish, what it says in the Parsha today, it says, Gam Schireho, where is it? Gam Schireho lo amodu. Kegle Marbek. You know, the, the, the mercenaries turn to be like fat cows, you know. <laughs> Let's put it this way. You don't want, <laughs> if you're hiring a guy to fight for you, you don't want some big glob, okay? Can't move. It's the expression that they were no good, you see? Kigam hema hifnu nosigachto they ran away. Right? So in other words, you have all the expressions in the Haftorah of the Egyptian, uh, this part of the Egyptian army being destroyed, and that one and the other one and the other one. Um, but I always remember, that's a good riot that this is a, a true business. To try to coordinate all this historically is very difficult, but it's not no gay to you. And I don't like these guys that write these books and try to say, I can prove all the biblical chronology is upside down and all the rest of it. I can't tell you how many kids I know. Kids. I mean, young people who've gone, they don't believe in anything anymore because they read these books and tried to explain everything to you and then they saw how bogus it was. And then they said, this is the Jewish religion. It's relying on this bogus stuff and this bogus science and bogus history. And the whole thing take off kapars. It's pretty bad. If you don't know, say you don't know, right? We don't have to work out exactly, because we can't. We don't work out exactly you know, how the ancient chronicles and the biblical prophecies uh, shteb. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, you know. Better better be honest and say say what it is. Anyway, here's the part that's the most interesting. I would argue this year. The end. Because if what I just said was true, then Yermio and the Jews are there during that attack. Okay? And so, like I say, he ran from the frying pan into the fire. So what's going to happen? A Jew escaped the Korban by Tishavah is going to get killed by the same Babylonian army in, in Fashtunk in Egypt? Is that how it goes? And it's very interesting. The Yermio says, uh, the Egyptian garment will fall in the hands of the Babylonians, blah, blah, blah. And then, at the beginning, in, in Pasuk Chazayin, V'yato al tirab Yaakov al but you, Avdi Yaakov, I'll take it, and don't be afraid. And Yisrael, don't be afraid. I will save you. Everything will work out. Zakt Rashi, Altira, Sadikim Shabatok Mitzrayim, Shagolu Shambal Karchem. There you have it. That's Rashi. There you have it. This Jeremiah, the people like him who were schlepped, Bal Karchem, living in Egypt. Why and how this happened, I don't know. In other words, are we supposed to imagine the prophet Yermiyahu now living in Egypt? And he says, I want to get out of here. You know, you're here, I want to leave. And they won't let him leave. I mean, I don't know. That's a fascinating circumstance question. Like, how was it? Imagine you had a Navi here, and you're physically preventing him from leaving. And why didn't God intervene? I don't know, right? All I know is that he's saying, There'll be a terrible korban. The Egyptian army will collapse. The country will fall in their hands. All the rest of it, but the tzaddikim will be preserved against harm. You see, they will not be killed by the invading army. And it sounds like 
the Babylonians will, will take uh, Yermio and bring him back safely to uh, Babel. Uh, let me put it this way. By the time everything's over, uh, Baruch ben is in Babel. I think you know this. It's a famous thing. Why did Ezra not come uh, to Israel on the first Aliyah of the Bayashani? No, it was before the Bayashani. When it was Kates, Babel, through Babel, when Cyrus the Great, later on, king of Persia, allows the Jews to go back, so 40,000, whatever, go back to Israel, under Zerubbabel, and Yishuvim and Tzedek, and so forth, um, and they have their adventures and misadventures, and it's several decades until they're able to rebuild the base of Mikdash, and only after they succeed in doing that, a couple of kings later, Ezra shows up. So why did Ezra come? Now, by the way, that's good too, you know, Ezra went from the second wave of Aliyah, but why didn't he go in the first wave of Aliyah? That's the famous question. And they said, well, because his Rebbe, Baruch, was still alive in Bubble. What is Baruch doing in Bubble? Last time we ran across Baruch, he was in um, in Egypt, together with Yermio. It's Masha from over here, at least I think, that when Nebuchadnezzar comes, this is like the last thing Nebuchadnezzar did in his reign before he died. Uh, when he comes to uh, Egypt, and he has this campaign and, and beats him, and he carries off all this different stuff, he brings back a number of Jews, that's why he says, I will not kill you, I will save you. The language is, which I don't know what to make of that, because they weren't brought back to Israel. It was Nebuchadnezzar talking. Unless it means he brought them back to Babylonia, where they could join, quote-unquote, the from community that was already set up over there. And he even goes on to say, Atal Tira Yaakov, Avdi Yaakov, Ki'itchani, Right? The Egyptians I will destroy. Uh, but I won't destroy you. So in other words, you will be in Hiroshima and the bomb will blow everybody up and it won't blow you up. That's what it is. By the way, you know, that's actually true. I don't understand the science of it. But, you know, if it's a million to one, that means one will happen. There were some people right where the blast hit in Hiroshima and garnish, nothing happened. It was a uh, it's remarkable, you know. Now, the rest of the 999,000 whatever got killed. But uh, if Hashem wants, he could do it. You see? Ki itchoni. Again, ki That I will bring a general, a general destruction of, on all the goyim there. Notice Egypt will be devastated by the Babylonian army. But not you. You did Sadiq, you Mio, or whoever it was. It will not be destroyed. Right? And I, I will punish you. In other words, you'll have a little suffering, but you will survive. You will survive. The uh, Now, what does it mean, that's very, very, very strange. Uh, but it means I won't wipe you out. It doesn't mean like we would say, no, I won't purge you. It doesn't mean like you think, I'll clean you of your sins, you know, like in the Yud Gimel Midas. means I won't purge you. Look at the Yatargam Yonason. I won't, I won't be machrav you. I won't bring a korban. You see? Um, I won't purge you. So you see that this Haftorah is um, describing a very interesting phenomenon, which is you got to know where to run to and you don't know what's safe. I'm thinking now, for example, World War II. My mother's family, for example. I mean, now with hindsight, I repeat with hindsight, 
It's like this. Well, from 40 to 44, being hungry. Uh, then from, from February of 44 to uh, August, being in Slovakia, which is next door. I'm serious. And then cross the border to Romania. Get it? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, it's safe from Hitler here this long, and then it's not. It's safe from here at Hitler this long, and then it's not. And here it's safe till the end of the war. Well, okay, after it's all over, everybody can tell where to go. You see? But how did you know then? So you see, you need a special zechus, okay? You need a special zechus to be in a place where it actually safe. Sometimes you run away, a place that's safe turns out not to be safe. Uh, there are some people that made Aliyah to Palestine in the 1930s. And then, in the late, listen to this, in the late 30s, they moved back to Europe. Why? It was intifada going on in Palestine. The Palestinian Arabs were running amok. The British had to bring a big army to crush it. Uh, so there were a lot of Jews killed on this and that and the other. And so somebody living on television, this is terrible. I'm moving back to safe Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Poland. I'm moving back to Poland, baby. You know? Here there's no Corbin. Yeah, really? Really? And they come in and then all of a sudden World War II. And he said, oh boy, did I make a mistake. So the Jews, the biblical example of this are the Jews who ran away after the Corbin to Egypt. Because had they remained, as Yermia told them to, think about the following. It's true that Gedalia was assassinated, but another governor would have been appointed, somebody like Gedalia. The Jews would have been living in the Judea area, which was already ruled by the king of Bavel. He wouldn't come with an army to destroy because he already conquered the territory. So they would live a peaceful life until Nebuchadnezzar died and so on and so forth and, and his successors. And they, like I said before, there's a decent chance that we'd be able to rebuild. And you wouldn't have a situation where Israel was completely empty of Jews and it would not be a war zone. In other words, for the rest of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the Jerusalem area would be in a zone of peace. And under his successors, it would be a zone of peace. And even when Koresh, when Cyrus took over, the you know the, the uh, uh, Persian army simply swallowed the whole Babylonian Empire whole, and it would be a zone of peace. And you know you, you notice it would have been safe by moving to Egypt, which they thought was such great Chachamim, they put themselves in harm's way. Uh, does this have to do exactly with the with the Egyptians trying to purchase bow? It talks about Egypt. Talks about Egypt having misfortune. Which is in Parsha's bow, uh, I think it emphasizes. I would suggest, and with this, I'll close because it's already late. I think it emphasizes to the Haftorah audience: uh, don't go back to Egypt. <laughs> Get it? We all know the Jews have a, a weakness about going back to Egypt, and the whole story of your meal that I just told you is a warning: don't think Egypt is a safe place. Think of Egypt as a, as a dangerous place. That we're better staying there to throw. So whoever um, put the Haftarah together, I think, was thinking along the lines that I just described. No, that's, at least that's what I think. Anyway, that's a long enough uh, Haftarah. Uh, but it's very interesting. Uh, go take a look at it. And uh, as I said before, understand it within the historical context. And with that, I want to thank the sponsors, the Cato's, Michael's, and uh, I bid you all a good shop. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at 
www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.